Blog Talk Radio. everyone and welcome to the 500th and first episode of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you an American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team and other fabulous moments. And of course, as we get ready for another fantastic show tonight, we're going to be previewing the CONCACAF Men's Olympic Qualifying Tournament as the United States will be in a group of four, along with Mexico, uh, Dominican Republic, and Costa Rica. And, of course, they will be uh, in another group. There will be another group of four, as we're going to see Canada take on El Salvador, Haiti, and Honduras in Group B. And hopefully this will be the tournament where the United States will finally advance to the Olympics for the first time in the last two to three cycles for Olympic qualifying the Olympic Games themselves. It has been a real tough moment to see this happen. But before we talk about this, wonderful news has come through today on Twitter uh, this afternoon, probably this morning, but this afternoon here in the States, probably last night uh, or the, this past evening in Europe, as we are now fully aware fully aware of a brand new American player who, of course, was born here, uh, has, is a part of parents of a different nation. And, of course, let's also not forget playing not just in Spain, but also had some ties to England as well. The one and only, and we've seen him play in those qualify in those excuse me the friendly uh, back in November against the Welsh, Yunus Dimora Musa has out of three to four nations has officially declared himself a U.S. men's national team player. This, my friends, is unbelievable. This, my friends, is just amazing to find out to learn about him about this news. And in my opinion, it makes the pool for the national team even stronger. It, this kid, the uh, I would say more than a half played in Wales. This was an absolute fantastic thing to see and to read about. And I'm very, very happy, very, very happy that this kid decided to put on the red, white, and blue to go out there and at the same time to say to everyone in world football that this will now be his home for the national team, hoping there won't be a one-time change after this, hoping he will remain here. And here is what he said. This is coming from... Uh, U.S. Soccer, of course, they put the photo of him and they quoted him. This is what he said. 
I think it makes sense to represent the country I was born in. The project that we have now and for the future is so exciting. And it's a great pleasure to be able to be a part of that. Ever since Greg Berhalter brought him over, ever since Greg Berhalter gave him a chance to play in the friendly, both friendlies in Europe, one against the Welsh and, of course, the one against Panama over in Austria, all I can say is is that Greg Berhalter gave him an opportunity. Greg Berhalter knew he had to find a way to get this player on the national team. What we have seen so far, and you know what? Let me also say, before I even get to that point, let me also say that this kid proving himself in La Liga with Valencia is just another dream come true for me. And let me tell you why. Let me, let me tell you why it's a dream come true for me. We always talk about, well, if we get an American in the Premier League, it's the best thing ever. True. If we get American players to play in the Bundesliga in Germany, it's, it's amazing to see. True. If we get American players to develop and do well in Serie A in Italy, then we've really, really made it. True. But in all honesty and all fairness, and nothing against the Premier League or the Bundesliga or the Serie A, nothing, no, no, nothing against them. There are four countries in the Western European continent, in my humble opinion, that marks the best in the league or the best in the world to develop talent and at the same time the highest level of competition in world football. The highest level of competition in world football. And for me, it will always be La Liga in Spain. The dream of having American players performing in Spain, the technical ability, the pace, the guile, the gumption, you're talking about amazing football all wrapped up into one. It's just an unbelievable situation. Look, nothing against the other three major leagues in Europe. But the truth is, is simply put, I consider La Liga the upper echelon of football. Yes, we know they'll have some weak sides. They'll have some decent sides. We all know the best of the best is now considered, uh, through an American's eyes, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Valencia's had its moments, and hopefully this moment will continue on to be even greater. But to have two Americans playing in Barcelona, in my mind, is a major dream come true. 
We all know about Serginho Dest playing there, moving from the Netherlands to La Liga. And, of course, a kid born on the streets and the beaches of Miami in South Florida, Conrad De La Fuente, and now getting opportunities to play for Barcelona. I mean, that's a dream come true. I know Musa has already been playing in Valencia, uh, Valencia in La Liga, but now as an American, to have another player like that in, uh, in La Liga in Spain, it, it's just un- unfathomable to now hang your hat and say we have three American players. Three American players in Spain. Germany allowing big players, American players to develop, grow, and do damage in the Bundesliga. It's unbelievable. Now we have Christian Pulisic with Chelsea. We might have some issues there with him right now. Tuchel doesn't seem to be too keen about him. That's his fault, not not Pulisic's uh, fault. But when I've always said, and I've said this most of the time, it's nice to have goalkeepers, defenders, defensive midfielders in Europe, but when are the attackers going to get an opportunity? I have said this many, many times. When will the attacking players, the creative players from the United States, finally get an opportunity to go out and dominate in Western Europe, or at least in Europe itself? When will that happen? Now it's happening with Claudio Reyna's son, Giovanni, Josh Sargent. Weston McKenney is doing a, doing a job. It's unbelievable. Matthew Hope, <coughs> excuse me, has come out of nowhere for Schalke. Come out of nowhere for Schalke and is doing damage. And now we have this kid who had at least not just on the USA on the radar for his international football play, but other nations as well. And for him, of course, to be born in the United States on a flyby, maybe on a vacation with his parents, born in New York City, well, it counts, folks. All you have to do is just be born, and you are considered an American player. It is absolutely sensational that this young talent, who could have been an English player, could have played for the Three Lions, could play for another nation from where his parents were born. Could have been also playing for playing for the uh, Spanish national team uh, because he plays in Valencia, which is probably not true. But you never know about certain things, certain quirkiness of these rules and everything else. But the truth is, is this. He's born here in New York in the hospital. You tick off the box. To say he's ours, and he is ours. This kid is going to be something special, everyone. That's how good I feel about Musa coming over here and doing a job. 
This, my friends, is something wonderful. Remember this name, Eunice DeMora Musa plays his club football at Valencia and now is officially a part of the U.S. men's national team. I give credit for Greg Berhalter. I also give credit to the scouts that went to find this kid and to make sure that he is eligible enough to be a part of our national team. And so he was. This is the building of our national team, folks. This is the, this is the construction of our national team. It's wonderful. And to have this kid be a part of our national team, which he could have been... We don't know how long he probably could have waited to maybe be part of England. But he doesn't have to wait too much longer. Because international football will be calling for him, and he will be playing in the red, white, and blue of the United States. Many people are now seeing the talent that's being groomed, the talent that's growing, and that is in academies in MLS, academies USL, academies, of course, NPSL, USL League One, USL P, uh, under, uh, League Two. The American player is growing. The American player is now improving. Do we still need more? Maybe so. But without a doubt, the fruits of our labor is now showing. The fruits of our labor are now being shown on display in leagues all across Europe. They're getting their chances. They're playing with pace. They're playing with technical ability. They're playing like they've been doing this for a long, long time. We are finally getting there, everyone. And now it's time to show it. Not just in CONCACAF club competitions, not just in CONCACAF international team competitions. It's now time to show it to qualify for these Summer Olympic Games. It took a pandemic to delay it, but thankfully now we are going to have the Olympic Games. We're going to get we get to qualifying for those Olympic Games, and now everyone will see around the world why the youth of an American player, the American player, the youth, are finally getting an opportunity. And when they do get to the world stage in the Olympic Games, they'll see our might and they will see the talent that will finally be bestowed upon them. Great show for you tonight. Once again, we're going to preview the CONCACAF Men's Olympic Qualifying Tournament. That will start this coming Thursday, Group A. And joining me to discuss that, of course, a man that's also dedicating his life to the youth players of this country in our nation's capital. My good friend Robert Hay joins us tonight. Robert, good evening. Um, exciting signing uh, for U.S. soccer for the uh, men's national team. Musa will be officially a USA player due to his uh, birth in our nation and in New York City, of course. But, um, you know, a lot 
down the road for our national team, especially now at the under-23 level, as we get ready for qualification for the Olympic Games in Tokyo, Japan? Well, it's a pleasure to be on, Daniel, as always. Uh, It's great to chat with you and uh, always excited to talk about uh, the U.S. national team, you know, all ages up, and the future of the sport in this country. Um, I want to start by pointing out, I, I don't know if I heard you mention or not, the, the fact that uh, Musa was uh, a member of the Arsenal Youth Academy, which I believe is the closest uh, you may ever come to praising Arsenal. So um, I think I will take that as an Arsenal praise, albeit faint, uh, for his young career. Well, you know, I mean, I thank them. I thank anybody that wants to give these players an opportunity to perform at one of the best clubs in the world. And, uh, you know, they ever say, well, you know, I was born in the United States and I've been playing in, in London all this time, so I guess I'll be an American player. I'll praise anyone. I'll give them, I'll give them fair, fair praise. It's okay. Sure, I may knock them a little bit, but that's not a big deal. They're big boys. They can handle it. Yeah, I, I, I just I have to pull your leg a little bit on that one, um, but knowing your your, uh, your your preferences for uh, European clubs. Um, you know, I, I think the the nice thing about this uh, this announcement today um, is, you know, this is really what we've been encouraging the U.S. Uh, to do. Um, I mean, one of the benefits of um, you know U.S eligibility and citizenship and in, in our international presence is, you know, there are a number of soccer players um, at very high levels who are dual or multi, multinational eligible. Uh, I'm sure there's a word for that, but um, you know, it, it, the United States is one country where they're eligible and much like, you know, college sports in this country, um, you know, there's a recruiting game that goes on at the international soccer level. And for, you know, a while there, the U S was, was losing out on that um, on that competition. We you know, we might get uh, a big name here or there. Um, sometimes that player would, would flame out spectacularly, but a lot of times, you know, uh, we'd lose out on some world class players that really could have helped the senior team. Um, so what we're seeing now with Musa and, and Dest before him is, you know, the U.S. is starting to hopefully rack up some good recruiting wins and give these young professionals um, an opportunity to um, play for a national team that's on the up and up, um, you know, get some playing time and really um, bring home some glory to uh, the United States and international men's soccer, um, you know, and, and really become part of a core of really exciting young talent, uh, as you mentioned, that the U.S. is building in, in men's soccer. It really is. And, you know, when you're seeing everything that's been going on, we know like what DC United has done currently, what Philadelphia Union has done. I mean, I know very well what the New York Red Bulls have done uh, with their academy players. I mean, they're also bringing in international players as well. Like, you know, currently Christian Caceres Jr. of Venezuela gets an opportunity to play uh, for the Red Bulls and what he has done growing up through their academy to their USL team. And to see these MLS sides having a USL championship side or USL League One, depending on where they go. Um, And, of course, now I guess MLS is now doing another uh, reserve league uh, situation. I I really think that at this point in time, the talent that's being produced right now has never been better, never been higher – 
And now we're seeing the technical ability of some of these players really, really growing to leaps and bounds. And, you know, how can you not say that we're finally seeing the fruits of our labor now developing and getting consistent minutes, especially in places like Juventus for McKenney, Borussia Dortmund for uh, Giovanni Reina, Chris Richards over at uh, Bayern Munich, Christian Pulisic right now at Chelsea, having some problems right now with Tuchel at the moment, but I mean, we'll see what happens and hopefully there'll be a, a reconciliation, I guess. I don't know what's going on, but we'll see what happens. But you're, you're seeing, and, and this kid that came out of nowhere at Schalke and Christian Hoppe, who uh, exploded in two games, scored four goals in two games. I mean, it's un- unbelievable. Yeah, I, I think one of the, I, I think what I'd say is we're living in a time when you, United States eligible soccer players have never had more resources at their disposal. Um, and I think that leads to what you talked about, which is the opportunities and the technical uh, development that we're seeing with um, a lot of the men's national players um, or potential men's national players, I should, I should say, because a lot of these players that we're talking about um, are just now coming onto the scene. You know, I, I think, uh, and that, you know, involves the expanded scouting networks. I mean, the United States is, you know, has been for a while a, a, a great place for international scouts to come, spend some time, you know, either coaching or scouting or developing their own little academies and or their own connections and pulling players overseas at a young age or, you know, at a, I guess, not so young age, depending if you consider 18, not so young, probably this, these day and age, but, you know, bring these players over and get them early when they're less expensive and sell them on. Um, and at the same time, giving these U.S. players a lot of experience at, the, at a high level internationally. Um, at, and then back at home, as you mentioned, you know, we have so many now. We have the academy system, the MLS academy system, uh, lower division soccer that gives opportunities to players to not only play against, you know, the top domestic competition, but also to um, – you know, get games in in a competitive uh, professional sense. Um, there is such an opportunity now to develop and so much money and resources being poured into development. Um, the thing that we have to watch out for is, is you know, making sure that the development and the pace of development um, allows for um, the creativity and the, um, uh, I don't want to say the word desire because that's a, such a cliched word, but um, the competition that needs to be had for the United States to reach that level of some of our international um, competitors, you know, uh, the teams we look at like a Mexico or a Germany or something like that, which we aspire to be, um, who turns out talent upon talent, who has, you know, probably the same number, if not, you know, resources in the United States, same net- scouting networks and so forth but creates this system within the, the country's soccer culture of competition and continually striving to, you know, turn through the, turn through these players in the sense of you need to keep proving yourself um, so that you are consistently competing with the players above you and the players below you in terms of age. Uh, and I think that's where the United States is right now. We have an opportunity to build a system where there is competition and the best of the best are able to pull themselves up. Um, but we need to ensure that what we're creating doesn't just reward the top, the current top 1% of players and ignore the rest of the, the soccer landscape. And that's a conversation for another time, although that does play a little bit into, 
you know, what we're going to talk about tonight, which is Olympic qualifying, where we're seeing in the United States kind of a generational suck away from, you know, some of the youth teams and up into the senior level. Exactly. And now we have these players, uh, this 23-man roster that's going to be heading down uh, to Mexico, which they're already there. They'll be playing over at the uh, Akron Stadium in the in Guadalajara, also at the Jalisco Stadium uh, down in Mexico. And we're about to see them performing against, not only against the host nation, which, uh, you know, it wouldn't be a CONCACAF tournament without a USA-Mexico matchup, but in their group, you're going to see them take on uh, the Dominican Republic and Costa Rica. Now, before we even talk about that group, Robert, the truth is right now uh, the United States has a dilemma. For the last two to three cycles to qualify for the Olympics, the United States has not qualified. They mm-hmm. had a third-place match of some sort once uh, for the international playoff that they, they led – and then lost to Columbia down in Frisco at FC Dallas, over where FC Dallas is in Toyota Stadium. And that one just ended their Olympic hopes. It ended everybody's Olympic hopes to watch the U.S. men's national team in the under-23 roster to go out and do some damage, which they were not able to do. This is probably right now. Under Jason Christ, who will be the one who, of course, made his official qualifying roster, and then if they do qualify, prepare for an 18-man roster. Of course, there will be some overage players allowed, maybe two to three overage players to be allowed on the roster. But the truth is, is that the way that the talent has now been sprung up here, Robert, Without a doubt, regardless what they do against Mexico, they must reach the semifinals and they must book their ticket for Tokyo. Yeah, it's it's interesting. As I was thinking about, you know, chatting tonight and, you know, going through my head, you know, the kind of the situation that the United States is facing, you, you could be forgiven for kind of um, – dismissing this tournament a little bit. I know it's hard to say dismissing the Olympics, but um, when you look at where the U.S. is in terms of its its player development, um, so much of the top talent is at, you know, in terms of age, the U23 level. I mean, I'm not going to go through the list of, of you know, the, 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 you know, the core team of the U.S. Nash senior team, but a lot of those players would technically qualify for this U23 team. So you could be forgiven for sitting there and saying, you know what, if the United States didn't do well in Olympic qualifying, we didn't, you know, the men's team didn't go to Tokyo, you know, that's fine because a lot of the players that should be by age on this team are leading the senior team and, you know, giving, um, uh, proving themselves at the highest level. I think you could, you could understand people saying that, but I think that also covers up what you were talking about, which is, you know, if we're going to be a consistent competitive soccer nation, these are the kind of tournaments that um, we need to compete and reach the, the, the finals, you know, actually go to the Olympic Games in. Um, I know, you know, U23 tournaments and U tournaments have a different perspective in, in other nations, and some take them more seriously than others. But, um, you know, in reality, I think we just need to look at the 
the women's side, and I know it's a different situation, but really what's driven a lot of the women's success is the ability to qualify and compete in the Olympics, and that leads to World Cup. I think for this U.S. U23 team, um, it's important to show success because this is not, when you look at the roster, I mean, there's a ton of talent. Um, and the talent on this team is is probably, um, you know, if you look back 15, 20 years ago maybe, in terms of overall athletic talent is more talented. Um, but this is also a team that um, is probably a lot of what you would consider players that would have made this roster or would be the second string on this roster if this tournament were held last year. And certainly if this were a 2019 tournament. Um, so I think one of the challenges for the U.S. is, you know, under under Jason Christ, can he and the coaching staff take this team that has gone through some odd circumstances of a year of a pandemic and, you know, the, the tournament being delayed a year, and take this team of, of talented but not maybe the first choice in some situations players and bring them to Tokyo. And I think – if they're able to do that, that's a huge step forward for the U.S. program. In some ways, um, better than some of the successes you're going to see on the senior team over the next you know, year or so. Because it's proving that the United States has the depth of talent to come up and compete level to level to level. And so I think that's why I'm curious to kind of watch what this team does is to see, you know, even if it's not the, the, the highlight names, can they reach a, reach a goal that you know, we all agree is something the U.S. should be at. I agree. And, and, you know, when you talk about these names of these kids, I mean, it's amazing to see uh, the opportunity that they have. I mean, this is like, I mean, obviously a World Cup, playing in a World Cup, whether it be the regular World Cup or the youth World Cups, like the under-20s or the under-17 World Cups, you know, that's always a, a wonderful thing to be a part of. But, you know, when you're talking about the upper echelon in youth tournaments in this game, you know you're going to get an under-20 and an under-17 tournament once every two years. It's always a, bi, a, bi, uh, it's always a biannual tournament through FIFA. It will always be every two years. The Olympics is treated like a regular World Cup once every four years. Once every four years. And because of the pandemic that halted the, the, uh, you know, the CONCACAF qualifying tournament, now it's being played this summer, or should I say it's being played now, the tournament, and then, of course, the Olympics were moved back to this upcoming summer. You know, th- this, is, this is a huge deal. This is a huge deal because CONCACAF is, doesn't get a lot of spots. It's no, this is not three and a half. This is not you play, you know, the top three. Uh, you, this is not the top three in qualifying that goes to, you know, uh, automatically to the Olympics, then you have that half spot and you have to play in a, uh, an international match for the playoff. And it's not separated between, you know, a couple of months. This is a tournament. You know, so many nations in this confederation, Robert, play either in groups or knockout games. It could be a goal aggregate. However, CONCACAF sets it up for the Caribbean's nations, for the Central American uh, nations. We all know Canada, U.S., Mexico automatically goes in as part of the North Zone. But there are very small, minute spots for the final qualification tournament. 
and going to the World Cup. I mean, and going to the Olympics itself. Yeah, I mean, and I, you're you're right on in terms of there's a thin line here. I mean, you're talking about two groups of four, and the top two. You know, you, you look at it and you go, well, the top two from each group advance, and you go to the semifinals, and you know, you've got a pretty good chance, but. You know, when you think about it, it's a very thin margin. I mean, let's take the United States group this year. I mean, you've got, as you mentioned, um, you know, uh, U.S. is with Mexico, Costa Rica, and, and DR, the Dominican Republic. And, you know, you're playing Mexico in Mexico. That That's a very tough situation to, you know, to go through. I mean, I, I think we're not fooling ourselves that that's going to be – the United States is definitely underdogs in, in that match, and that would be a tough, tough win to get. Um and then you look at the the Dominican Republic, and generally speaking, you can probably assume the U.S. would be favored in that. It um, should be favored in that, no matter where you play. Um, and then you look at Costa Rica, and you know this is a very competitive match. And you're looking at a situation where, theoretically, the United States could win one, lose one, draw one, and not qualify for the semifinals. I mean, it all depends on on tiebreakers and things like that. But to to really feel comfortable, you need to win two out of three. Uh, of these group stage matches, one of which is the home team um, or the home uh, the home side, um, and the other one is a, a very good soccer nation, uh, footballing nation, who has their own advantages coming into this tournament uh, that the U.S. doesn't have. So it is such a thin line in terms of success and failure, you know, even more so than a World Cup qualifier that that actually raises the stakes even more. And every, you know, it, it's it's kind of hard. We kind of know what the advantages and disadvantages for each of these sides coming in are. But, um, you know, even a little thing, a bad call or, you know, a, a sleepless night or, you know, a home field, you know, advantage can make a big difference. And so I think that's one of the other things that's it's interesting to watch. And the, the, the line for success and failure is pretty thin. I agree. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing for sure is this, is that when you look at the schedule, of course, it'll be this coming Thursday. The United States are going to open up their end of the tournament uh, against Costa Rica. Costa Rica has proven to develop fantastic players from Central America. Um, We have seen these players doing well through qualifying. They've had their ups. They've had their downs. But when you got to play a side that is developing talented strikers, talented defenders. Maybe the midfield might be lacking a little bit. Keepers are usually hit and miss with Costa Rica. But the truth is, is this, is that you cannot give them an inch at all. You cannot take off for a quick couple of seconds. You can't do it for even a spell because if they take advantage of your mistake or of your laziness. They will pounce and they'll bury the chance whenever they get the opportunity. You can say that about many teams in world, in world soccer, world football, but the truth is Costa Rica is a nation. Let's not forget, Robert, it's not just you have to be careful when you play against Mexico. You, and we all know about the rivalries, but the Central American teams, they are talented enough to go out and do the damage. You take it easy on them, they will exploit the weakness whenever they get the chance. Yeah, this is the kind of tournament where a a nation like Costa Rica can have an advantage because um, when you look at the roster of players who are invited, uh, who made, I guess, the 20-man call-up, 
you know, there's not a lot of familiar names as there usually is in this tournament. Um, but if you look at the clubs, you know, the club side, who did they play for? You know, there's only two players that play in Europe. Um, and there's a couple of MLS players, uh, you know, Marvin Loria for Portland and, and um, you know, a couple of others. Um, so it's easy to sit there and dismiss it. But one of the things to look at for our side like Costa Rica is it's a major- the majority of their players play in the in the domestic league. And for about 12 of the players play for three different teams, you know, many of whom – the names of whom are familiar to CONCACAF Champions League watchers, you know, uh, Saprisa, Aloenze, and uh, Herdiano. So in a tournament like this where there's been limited travel over the past year, where there's been limited friendlies, uh, international competition – does a team like a Costa Rica also have an advantage because they have players who have been playing with and against each other at the club level um, in Central America versus a team like the United States where you have players coming, yes, from MLS, um, but from different clubs and from a league that really hasn't, you know, has played starts and stops. Um, and that's not to say that uh, Costa Rica's had, you know, uh, gone swimmingly over the past year in club club sports but you do have this advantage where a lot of the players have been playing together and so in a game of of narrow margins in a tournament of narrow margins does that give Costa Rica an advantage because not only do they have the success at the international level you have players that are playing together at the club level and so that in my mind is if I and I am a U.S. fan I almost said if I'm if I am a U.S. fan as a U.S. fan worries me because um, there's there should be some synergy, some comfort between these players on a national team that may not exist on other national teams, and especially not in the U.S. Very true, and that's the one thing we have to watch out for. Let's talk about, right now, uh, the coach, and that's Jason Christ. Now, let me just say this about Jason. Obviously, you know, he has done many things in MLS. He couldn't crack the national team as a player, unfortunately, Um, but he has scored over 100 goals. He is one of those players without a doubt that has the name and the reputation of being one of the best strikers this league has ever produced uh, since the original days back in 1996 with, uh, at the time, Dallas, uh, then went to expansion side Real Salt Lake and then was forced into retirement to ask to be a coach. Now, he's done wonderful things at Salt Lake, uh, won them an MLS Cup title, Came close to winning a Champions League title. Came close to winning an Open Cup title. Didn't happen. But went to New York City FC. And I'll I'll be fair on Jason to say that, you know, maybe internally there was some issues being, man- being the manager for New York City FC. Uh, and, of course, after one year they got rid of him and they went after um, uh, a new head coach at the time. Um, but all I can say about Jason is this. We've never seen him as a head coach on a national team level, let alone a head coach for a youth team, especially an under-23 team. And while I'm not trying to dispute the hire, we I know everyone's going to say there's nothing really more to discuss. You're just a coach. You can coach the game. But, you know, you've got to talk a little differently to these kids. And I'm not saying they're weak-minded or anything like that, but the truth is is that Jason needs to you know, show a different mentality when you are managing uh, an, a youth national team. 
I would say between the twenty, the under twenty to the under twenty-three level, um, maybe it's not so different. But you know, we've seen past coaches like Ziggy Schmidt, who was with the Galaxy, then uh, wasn't with them anymore. Got hired by U.S. Soccer to run the under twenties for uh, the when it was in the Netherlands at that time at that tournament. Uh, Thomas Rongen has had two stints with the under-20 national team and had a very good one in Canada when he had players like Michael Bradley and Josie Altador and Freddie Adu, Sal Zizou, you know. And then you have, for the last four under-20 tournaments, Tab Ramos, who basically started coaching kids locally in New Jersey, uh, then joined U.S. Soccer consistently making it to the quarterfinals for the last four for the last four tournaments now with the Houston Dynamo you you have to say that at the moment maybe it's a concern that I shouldn't be having but you know what do we know about Jason with youth players yeah and if you look at the list of of coaches who have usually taken or recently have taken the um U23 side um you know the in 2008 when um you know the US made a nice little um you know nice little run you know the the head coach was Peter Peter Novak who was an assistant to Bob Bradley who had been the U23 coach the year before or two years before, um, you have names like Bruce Arena, who was a, a previous U23 coach. Uh, Caleb Porter, of course, who had a, a lot of success at the college level. Tab Ramos, like you said. Um, so even though it's not a requirement to be, you know, a, a youth coach or somehow involved in the, the the soccer setup in the United States as a coach, it certainly seems like it's helped at times um, to be a manager and find success there. Um you know, it, and I think that's the tough, you know, that's the question for Jason Christ. Um, you know, you throw in the fact that um, there's been all the disruption for, you know, the, the team set up and, you know, that takes away time, you know, learning and getting to see players play up close and so forth. Um, I think puts him at even more of a disadvantage because I think normally um, a person like him would be able to travel around, you know, go to tons of, of soccer matches, watch these players, watch them on TV you know, break down film, watch them on the internet, whatever. Um, so I think he, he starts with a, you know, a step back anyway, um, in addition to not having this youth background. You know, that being said, there's a reason why he was hired for this job. And, you know, it is, as you, you mentioned, Daniel, you kind of outlined his, his career. I mean, he is, you know, even despite the kind of slip there with, um, in his material career, Uh, we oh. oh, hopefully we haven't lost Robert. Uh, connection is a little bit questionable. Uh, hopefully we haven't lost Robert and try and get him back on as quickly as possible. Maybe he's still there. Robert, are you still there? Nope, and we lost him. All right, so we'll wait for Robert to uh, call back in, but definitely. Um, this is, you know, this is, it, maybe it's not a major issue that I'm having, but it's still an issue that I think is important to discuss, um, to see about Jason Christ handling youth players. So we'll just have to wait and see, you know, what will happen. 
But definitely up oh, there's Robert. Let's see if we can grab, get him back on. And there he is, Robert. Welcome back. Thank you. Don't know what happened there. Sorry about that. That's okay. Continue on, um, please. No, well, yeah, that must be a sign that it's time to wrap it up. Um, no, but I mean, if you look, at, if you look at, I mean, Jason Christ's career, I mean, you know, it's, I think a lot of his success and his shine comes from his, you know, his RSL days and you know the success he had there and the players he developed there. Um, but I mean, this is a guy who, you know, has found some success. Um, you know. And I think that there's a reason why he was hired for this job. I think he's still well-regarded. I think he's earned the opportunity to see what he can do with the U23 team, which is not that – I mean, which is a professional team, let's be honest. I mean, these players are professional players. Um, so I, I think I, I think it'll work out in the end. I think as a professional coach, he's going to bring a nice element to this. But I do think you have to, if you're a U.S. fan, have a little bit of worry in the back of your mind that he is not – someone who has experience uh, coaching in this kind of setup, and that may prove to be a slight disadvantage. Yeah, we'll see what happens. And, you know, look, look, I, I'm not trying to, you know, badmouth Jason Christ. I want him to succeed. I want him to do well. I want him to qualify for the tournament. And then, of course, if you win your semifinal matchup against the other group, uh, depending on where they finish um, in the group stage, then, you know, maybe he'll win the Olympic tournament uh the Olympic qualifying tournament, I should say, but still, though, I, I just really believe that, you know, this is an opportunity for him to prove to everyone that not only is he, was he good as a head coach with professionals and with men, um, and hopefully, like, and, you know, it's not a big requirement, you know, to, to be, uh, you know, managing youth players back in your time. I mean, Jason Christ has only known to manage men at, you know, for top division clubs, you know, that's all he's known. And it's a situation where I, I really believe that he has to really come out huge here uh, and to qualify for the Olympics. Whatever happens, if they do qualify or not, whatever happens after it, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But for now, you've got three games to play, finish in the top or in the second position, and make sure that whoever you face, you're going to take on your opponent with respect. Don't assume it's going to be a cakewalk. Just go out there, play, play at your best, play professionally, and just go out and do the job you have to do. Because, look, I understand. If you miss one tournament, okay, you had a bad, you had a bad year. You miss two tournaments... There's a problem going on, and it's going to be festering if you don't solve it. Then you get you miss three tournaments. Now what the hell's going on? And then you're going to have to get Taylor Twelman to say, "What are we doing?" And you can't have that happen again. So, <laughs> so you know this is important to go and qualify for the Olympics. Yeah, it, it, and I think you know again this is this is a reflection of past failures. I mean, it's been I've missed two out of the last three Olympics and so forth, and. You know, it, it's just it, it, again, if you want to be the kind of soccer nation that we want to be, it, it is the ability to compete in these tournaments because you're able to bring in players who can compete with their peers at a high level and um, you know go out and uh, 
you know, excel in tough situations. I think that's the other thing is you need to be able to show that you can um, prove yourself in in less than ideal cases. I mean, you know, we, we'll you know we've talked about you know that this tournament's taking place in Mexico, uh, even with the reduced um, capacity and, and number of people admitted into stadiums. I mean, it's still uh, away matches and. Um, you know, I think there's an element to be said as well for the U.S. for these this group of players to you know excel in a less than ideal situation. I think will show a lot for um, their viability for the player pool. Yep, I agree with you there. Uh, really quickly, let's go to the roster um, right now. The goalkeepers are going to be Matt Fries from Philadelphia Union. Uh, and there will also be JT, if I can say his name properly. I just got to make sure I say it properly. I, look, if I butcher it, I butcher it. I'll take the I'll take the fine, and uh, I'll go and uh, make sure that it will never happen again. Marcinkowitz, Marcinkowitz, and he's coming from San Jose Earthquakes, and also uh, David Ochoa who plays for Real Salt Lake. Of course, he was the one that won the uh, USL Championship trophy two years ago, uh, defeating Louisville City. So that's not uh, that's not a bad goalkeeper to have on the Olympic roster. And then <laughs> under your defenders, you have Julian uh, Arujo, who plays for the Galaxy. Um, also, you have... Um, oh, something's blocking my, uh, my vision here. It's my Skype. I got to... Move my Skype over a little bit. There we go. Um, here we go. Uh, Justin Glad from Real Salt Lake. And then you have Aaron Herrera from Real Salt Lake as well. And uh, then you have Henry uh, Kessler uh, over at uh, the New England Revolution uh, from New York City. Uh, Mauricio Pineda uh, for the Chicago Fire from Illinois. And then, of course, there is Sam Vines from the Colorado Rapids, from Colorado Springs. Those are your defenders. And then you go to the midfielders as we uh, take a look here. Midfielders right now, you got uh, Johnny Cardoso from Internacional in Brazil. Uh, From Denville, New Jersey. Look at that. Not far from where I am. Um, Hassan Hassani Dotson. And he plays over at uh, Minnesota United FC. And then you got Ulysses uh, Leonez from uh, Harvin in the Netherlands. So that's not bad. I got to tell you this, Robert. If you are a kid playing in Brazil, especially for international now, that's a huge, huge uh, get, in my opinion, for this under-23 roster. That is absolutely fantastic to get a kid like that playing in Brazil. Um, that's going to be uh, huge for him. Um, and mm-hmm. then, um, of course, there's uh, Georgie Mahalovich, formerly of Chicago Fire, now with uh, no longer called the Impact. Now they're Club Football Montreal uh, from Jacksonville, Florida. Andreas Pereira uh, for Orlando City. And then you have Sebastian uh, Salcedo from uh, plays in Mexico for UNAM Pumas. Um, and then he's also from Park City, Utah. And then you have uh, from the San Jose Earthquakes, Jackson Ewell, of course, the last midfielder. And now we get to the attackers. And uh, that's going to be a very interesting situation. See who's going to be up there in the, the attackers. 
Uh, Jesus Ferreira from FC Dallas. We've seen him in the last um, friendly uh, that was played down in Florida. Uh, you have uh, Jonathan Lewis from Colorado Rapids. I mean, he's an interesting story, of course. Uh, always thought he was going to be a very good player coming through uh, NYCFC now with Colorado. And I think he's uh, making uh, plenty of noise for making it on the senior national team. Benji Michael or Michelle from Orlando City. And then Sebastian Soto, who has done so much uh, with Tab Ramos for the under-20s, plays over at Norwich City in England. And that's it. That's your uh, that's your qualifying roster for the U.S. men's nat- for the under twenty threes, I should say, for U.S. soccer. Um, as you've said already, a professional uh, squad that has done so much not only in the youth ranks but in league play and MLS and uh, everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's um, it's an interesting group. Um, you know, I think a lot of of when you're reading about the pre-match uh, analysis and so forth, you'll re- probably read a lot about the names that aren't on the roster for a number of reasons. But, um, you know, this is still a very solid squad. Um, uh, by the way, we, we just to mention, you know, you mentioned Johnny Cardoso and, and playing in Brazil. Um, you know, this idea of, of young American soccer players being drawn to Europe or, you know, traveling over to Europe to get chances over there. It's actually interesting. It looks like uh, his parents brought him to Brazil for the exact same reason. Um, so pretty smart idea, although they are, I believe, Brazilian um, uh, Brazilian descent. So that might have made it a little bit easier. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, don't limit yourself where you play. Uh, but anyway, you know, so I think there's a lot of, you know, there's some questions to be asked of this roster. I mean, we talked about, you, you mentioned or you, you hinted at, you know, with the forwards, there's a, um, uh, you know, a lot of uh, lack of, you know, professional goal scored is, is goal scoring going to be a problem? Uh, you know, Jordi Mihaljevic at the Mihaljevic at this, you know, in the midfield looks to be probably the playmaker number ten, I guess, on this roster. You know, is that going to work out for the U.S. and what's the the depth behind him? Um, I think is a question that uh, comes to mind looking at this roster. And then, you know, your um, your defense. Um, it's interesting. I, 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 and I, I can't give credit to who wrote it, uh, but I read, you know, if you were doing this tournament last year, would your center back parent been Mark McKenzie and Eric Palmer Brown? Um, and now is it going to be, you know, Justin Glad and uh, Mauricio Pineda and, you know, what's the drop off there? Or what's the difference there between that center back pairing, you know, potential center back pairing and the one you would have had last year. Um, you know, I, and I, so I think it speaks to, um, there's a lot of talent, but there's not – there's some, some definite – you can highlight probably four or five different spots on the field where you either the start, the presumed starter or the, the depth behind that starter is um, – call, raises some questions in your mind. So this is definitely a squad that needs to prove itself, um, and I think we'll have an opportunity to do so. So I think going into the tournament, there's going to have to be some questions answered and Jason Christ will have to do it right away um, with uh, Costa Rica um, looming. Exactly. So here's the schedule now for the U.S. under-23 squad. As we already said, Costa Rica will be this Thursday, um, their first match in the group stage. Their next match will be on Sunday, which would be the 21st uh, in March, and they're going to take on Dominican Republic. And then on Wednesday, the 24th, that will be their final group stage match against home nation Mexico. So 
without even going to that Wednesday match, we all know it's going to be a, a big battle, a big fight. The Classico will be on that Wednesday, but or next Wednesday, I should say. But the truth is this, Robert. It's got to be a six-pointer before that match. Costa Rica, that has to be a big win there. Dominican Republic, we are aware that they are not a strong side. They may try as hard to play defense to survive a point, but the truth is is that you know they're going to destroy Dominican Republic. And I'm not saying this to take them lightly. I'm saying this because the U.S. must not take them lightly. They have to do a job there. They have to do a job against Costa Rica, do a job, a big job against Dominican Republic, and then whatever happens against Mexico in the final group stage game – Whatever happens, it happens. There's nothing you can do about it. If you get a point out of it, that's the best thing. If you can surprise them in their own backyard, well, then that's a big miracle completely, no matter what level of, of uh, men or youth that you've got to face every time the U.S. takes on Mexico. This must be a priority once again because the next step is going to be a Sunday afternoon tilt or early evening tilt against either the winners of Group B if you end up in the second spot, or the runner-up to Group B if you win you, if you win Group A. That's the magical match. Whatever happens after it, it's gravy. But honestly, Robert, the most important match right now in this tournament is reaching the semifinals. That's mm-hmm. the golden ticket right there. Yeah. There's no style points in this tournament. I mean, you, 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 you have your goal is to make it to the Olympics, and you don't do that by style points or trying to impress. You do it by going out and beating Costa Rica in the first match because if you do that, you open yourself up to you know, multiple possibilities to make the semifinals and then hopefully the finals after that. I mean – you know, the Dominican Republic is, you know, certainly an underdog in this match. I mean, on their roster, they've got a couple of players that have, you know, maybe spent a, a little bit of time being looked at in Europe. Um, you know, there's a lot of, of players on this team that have gone through some academies in Europe and, and actually a couple of players in MLS. So they're not devoid of talent, but they're certainly the underdogs. But you don't want to get into a situation where you draw with Costa Rica and then you have to um, – you know, watch the numbers, watch the goals, watch the tiebreakers leading up to Mexico and have to sweat that out, or even worse, lose to Costa Rica, and then you're playing from behind and need to get a result in Mexico, you know, against Mexico in Mexico. So you take care of business in the first match, you know, and don't get upset in the second match. You're, you're you know, playing with house money against Mexico. You move on to the semifinals, and then it's win one. I mean, you win one, and you're you're in the Olympics, and that's you know as much as as nice as it is to win. Um, getting to the Olympics again is your goal, so you have to win basically three matches out of the next five um, to mm-hmm. to make it to the Olympics, and that's that's your goal. You don't want to do anything other than that. Everything else is gravy. Three out of five, and win the right three out of five um, to uh, to achieve your goal. That's it. That's There's right. nothing fancy about this. Nothing fancy. You just got to go and do your job and make sure you get the proper points accumulated so that you can make it 
to the big dance, or at least to get to the next level, which is that semifinal matchup. So, um, you know, if you, let's just say for the heck of it right now, I think we all know Costa Rica is the big thorn uh, in the side for the U.S. when they play that first game. I think that's that's the easy uh, look at from Group A. But if we actually take a look at both groups here, Robert, we all mm-hmm. know Mexico is going to qualify uh, for that semifinal match. Uh, they should be able, in my opinion, look, I don't want to say that the U.S. can't win Group A. I think they can. It all depends on if something falls in front of them and, and everything goes the right way, that you know there's an opportunity. But I think we can all agree Mexico will win the group. The U.S. must be that second position in Group A. But mm-hmm. from that point on, let's just say for the heck of it, the USA do qualify for the semifinal matchup. Who do you think are going to be the two nations in Group B that they could, one of the two that they could face between either Canada, El Salvador, Haiti, or Honduras? Yeah, you know, not, and I, I will admit I am not an expert on the U23 tournaments, um, so take that with a grain of salt. Um, but I do think, you know, with El Salvador and Honduras, you have a lot of the same um, advantages that a Costa Rica has. So you're looking at their rosters again, you have a very domestic-based, uh, both sides are very domestic club-based, um, so there's a familiarity there. Um, and uh, there's, you know, certainly talent sprinkled throughout. I mean, Canada is always interesting. Um, I, you know, Canada is always one of those sides that we assume is is going to break through. And and even with them, actually, you know, there's a number of players from Montreal, Vancouver, um, that could play into that same scenario as the other three. So I think, you know, again, not being an expert on this, if I'm making a prediction, I'm going to go crazy and say Canada takes a spot, um, and then the other one will go to Honduras uh, or El Salvador. Um, Haiti is, you know, certainly has its merits, but, you know, just in a cursory glance, it doesn't look like there's going to be enough there to claim one of those top two spots. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, let's not uh, sleep on Haiti, though. They could be an underdog, like you said. Dominican Republic is an underdog. I'll pick Haiti as an underdog because they have been improving uh, with CONCACAF Nations League play. Um, I think they could surprise some people uh, moving into the qualifying tournament that begins uh, actually will be getting very soon, the International Calendar Week. Uh, for the opening round in CONCACAF for World Cup qualifying is going to start in about a week or two. So that's going to be interesting as well. Uh, if they do get out of the first round, we'll have to wait and see. But for now, I'll give Haiti the underdog tag. But, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen. The best thing about these games right now, Robert, they will all be broadcasted on FS1, Fox Sports 1. So we're definitely going to see... Um, on national television, uh, you know, wherever you get Fox Sports 1 on your cable or satellite provider or even streaming-wise on your phone, go to the Fox Sports app to watch or Fox Sports Go to watch these games being played. Um, At least we get to watch it and at least we get to comment on it and we'll talk about it um, after these games are done with. (coughs) Yep. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's going to open up uh, a whole new, you know, I think it's going to allow soccer fans to really see, like I said, this next generation. So um, hopefully it is, um, you know, the U.S. performs well, so it's an entertaining tournament for viewers, but also, you know, helps 
build an interest in the lower, you know, the below the senior levels. Again, I think that's the disadvantage of having so much young talent <clears throat> at the senior side. Um, you know, there's less of a desire to see, you know, that that next that next guy in situation where it's like, oh, I've heard about this player, you know, and I want to see him, you know, compete in the Olymp, you know, in the Olympics or in, in qualifying. Um, you know, right now that young player is playing on the senior team, so um, that's the only downside. But you know, if Fox Sports One is so accessible through so many different ways, um, and the times are really good too for um, you know primetime viewing, so it, it is exactly it, it'll be easy to watch. <clears throat> it really will be. I can't. I can't wait. And uh, you know, once again, if you check the schedule, you go to U.S. Soccer. We'll give you the times here as well. Of course, everything is East Coast time for us here. Uh, so if you want to check your local listings, wherever you get Fox Sports One, um, you know, in your house, uh, just make sure you take a look. So once again, Thursday, March the 18th, that will be at uh, 5:30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, it will be USA versus Costa Rica. Um, so that'll be five, two o'clock, two thirty Pacific. And then, of course, on Sunday, March the 21st at 7 o'clock Eastern, uh, Dominican Republic will be taking on the USA. And then um, the final matchup, which will be on Wednesday against Mexico, uh, that will be on March the 24th. And that will be at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. So, and once again, all these matches will be on Fox Sports 1, or if you rather follow it through uh, Spanish language, this will also be on TUDN, and then of course uh, there are other matches that the U.S. men's national team will be playing the senior side, which will be a friendly against Jamaica, which will be on the next day. That will be on March the 25th We don't uh, at 1 o'clock Eastern. Uh, uh, it will be at a venue in Austria. Um, and then of course they'll be on the road against Northern Ireland, the men's national team, which will be on March the 28th at 12.05 p.m. Eastern on the road, and that will be in Belfast, Northern Ireland. And let's not also forget, Robert, if the U.S. does qualify for the semifinal match, that game will also be on March the 28th, and that will also be live on Fox Sports 1. So we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen, but definitely this is going to be a very, very interesting uh, week and uh, once again, uh, there'll be no Forestines Fire show during the Olympic qualifying tournament. So we'll just have to wait uh, till we get to April uh, to get the show back on. But for now, we're going to look at the qualifying tournament and see what's going to happen. Any final thoughts, Robert, before we uh, say goodnight? Nope. Just enjoy the tournament. I mean, these, these kind of youth tournaments are so much fun. Lots of crazy things happen, and uh, especially with a tournament like this, which has been a year in the making. Um, you know, enjoy it. I mean, this is the kind of, this is what you want to watch as a soccer fan. Exactly. And I know I'm going to enjoy it. And once again, don't forget everybody, uh, come here to the four scenes fire American soccer show. We're going to have post game shows, uh, after the qualifying tournament games are done, joined by Carter Krishnar. Hopefully Robert Hay will join us as well. And we're going to talk about each and every game. So for Robert Hay, for, thank you for joining me, Robert. I appreciate you coming on as always and uh, hope to talk to you soon and take care. And I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Always appreciate it. Always love to have you on. Okay. So for Robert Hay, and this is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please 
Enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good evening. Take care so long, and bye-bye for now.